We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my friends. I'm so honored to be spending a bit of our time together here today on Empower Radio. What I believe for sure is that our relationships with our words are not only powerful and impactful, but also predicts the direction we go in our lives, whether we manifest misery and poverty or happiness and prosperity. And like my guest today, Dr. Johnny Lops, I believe when we take responsibility for our words, we take greater responsibility for all aspects of our lives. After years of experience with patients, it proved to Dr. Lops that those who use the most negative and absolute language are more irritable and at greater risk for depression. And studies find that negative emotions also affect us physically. They can create a weaker immune system and increase inflammation and cause pain in many, many ways. However, we are in far more control of our emotional state than we may think. And one key tool to feeling better is choosing our words wisely. In Dr. Johnny Lopp's new book, Reinvent Yourself, Essential Tools from a Brooklyn Psychiatrist Who Has Seen It All, he lays out a simple way to shift into positive language and improve our moods, our outlook, and our health one sentence at a time. Dr. Lops is a board-certified practicing psychiatrist for adults, adolescents, and children, and the former team psychiatrist for the Brooklyn Nets. He is currently a clinical instructor of psychiatry for the My Mondes. You're going to have to tell me how to say that, Dr. Lops. My Monides Medical Center Psychiatry Residency Program and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at the New York College Osteopathic medicine. He's an accomplished actor and film producer. Dr. Lops has starred in numerous stage productions, as well as major television and advertising campaigns for Sprite, Bud Light, and the New York Knicks. So Dr. Lops, thank you for being here today on Journey to Center. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Maimonides. Did I say it right? (laughs) Maimonides. Okay, it took me a minute, but I got it. All right, so I'm so honored to have you here today. You really have a very eclectic and colorful resume, which I can Mm. relate to. And now you have this awesome book called Reinvent Yourself, Essential Mm. Tools from a Brooklyn Psychiatrist who has seen it all. And from Mm. reading it, it seems you have seen quite a bit, if not (laughs) all. (laughs) So tell me about this book, why you wrote it. I think I was inspired to write the book because I was was feeling as I was going across my journey into becoming a psychiatrist, that I have this joke that a lot of times um, getting to know my colleagues and my peers who are psychiatrists themselves or very academic types or came from very academic families, that at the end of the day, I felt uh, more connected to my patients uh, from an upbringing point of view than I did my peers. Uh, My parents are wonderful people, but very low middle class. Uh, We're not talking about uh, any wonderful academic prowess. Both uh, my mom didn't graduate high school. My dad squeaked by before he went to the Marines. Um, You know, not a family with connections, didn't have the go-to person. So I felt like uh, that it it was a lot of it was left up to me in my own accord about how to find the right avenues to attain some level of success. So as I was growing as a psychiatrist, I felt that um, 
that there was a little bit of a disconnect between the, the practitioners and the patients themselves, especially in the self-help world. I felt that if you read a self-help book that was written by a clinician, they invariably would have to interview a layperson to help them understand like what people have gone through and try to make a clinical understanding of that. And vice versa, if it was written by a layperson, they would have to interview a clinician to have something more of an academic understanding. And a lot of what mental health is, you know, with the stigma today, it still remains. A lot of it is finding motivation, inspiration, feeling like I'm not going to be judged, feeling like that there's somebody out there who gets me. And a lot of times when people shift their treatment to come see me, they're looking for someone they connect to more, someone that can get them a little bit more. And I thought, what a wonderful opportunity that not everyone, because I'm in Brooklyn, not everyone across the country will be able to get to see me at some point. And, uh, and also, you know, even in, in the city, it's not, as, uh, not like I work around the clock. And so I thought, here's an opportunity for me to reflect on my life, uh, again, not uh, being raised in any form of affluence, not having those network connections that people are obsessed with today with Facebook and LinkedIn to try to get new positions. Uh, here's my story, and let me correlate that to what I've seen in my practice about what are the most common tools that I've seen people utilize that have helped them persevere through their traumas, their stressors, and here's a chance for me to be a little vulnerable, a little humble, and share my story. And so in the same book, you can get to get a piece of what it was like for me to grow up in, in South Brooklyn by Coney Island, and now understanding what were the tools that helped me and what are the tools that I use with my uh, clients and, the, and why the ones I think who do well do better because they implement these tools. Yeah, and I think that's true. You're very holistic in your approach. You yeah. know, I don't have a lot of psychiatrists on my show because, well, actually, because the the reason that you just explained, there's kind of a bit of a disconnect. It seems to be a more intellectual medical approach where I tend to have a more holistic approach. And I felt like, wow, I can really relate to this guy. Your book is very relatable. So I appreciate yeah. how you've um, shared your story and implemented the, the stories of clients and patients and, yeah. and uh, the healing journey. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm relatively still young, especially in the realm of my career. And when I was in my training, I, I, I trained at a program that was very what we call psychodynamic, which means that you're supposed to take on all aspects of the person and really try to understand them from a psychosocial point of view. What are their, what's their psychology like? What's their social stressors? And implement that as you try to understand how their body is biologically being affected, whether it's depression, anxiety. And about halfway through, it seemed like the tides were changing where they wanted us to become more uh, robotic, don't really allow the, the client to speak much, have, more, have these scales that just measure biological symptoms and make your treatment a choice based on that. And I was, it was very upsetting to see that that's where a lot of uh, biological psychiatrists want the field to go, where there's this disconnect to actually knowing who the person is and that you just want me to sit down with the person, do a bunch of scales, come up with a rating, and, and make a decision and approach that way. You know what? And a lot of people might get better, but that's not what I went into this field for. I still feel like there's that human connection and we need to look people in the eye and be present for them. Otherwise, eventually we robots, because technology is going that direction, robots will just be able to do it for us. And I don't think people want that. I certainly don't. I'm definitely a more heart-based person and I love and appreciate that about you as well. So I think that's awesome. Again, you're doing a great job of bridging the worlds. 
So I love the way your book is laid out. You have 12 chapters and I think, you know, there's, they're like almost like many books and you can get great value from each one of these. And, um, I'd like to just go through a couple of them or a few of them, depending on how much time we have that really uh, resonated for me. Sure. So, um, you have a chapter called Your Thoughts, Not Always Your Best Friend. This is mm-hmm. something I could really, really relate yeah. to. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the power of our thoughts? Yeah, and, and that is technically chapter one, and there, there's a method to my madness about why that's chapter one. is because invariably, I think it's the most important, and it sort of lays the platform and the groundwork for what the rest of the chapters are about. And, and pretty much what it's saying is that for a lot of people... Uh, and the reason why, again, having coming to see somebody, if, if you didn't grow up in a household that was uh, had an awareness of, of mental health and trying to nurture that and value that, there's something in our a term we call psychoeducation. A lot of times doing a little psychoeducation with clients can go a long way. And part of Chapter 1 is the psychoeducation to understand that just because you think it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And... As we get more um, uh, uh, savvy with our emotional intelligence, we start understanding the complexity of the way the brain works and that our brain can trick us. And that if you practice this, uh, well, let me take it a step back. If our brain is tricking us, uh, it might trick us in ways that make us feel sad, that might make us feel nervous, that might make us to want to make maladaptive decisions like avoidance or denial. And invariably, these can continue to create this circular, circular uh, situation or scenario where we can lead to a, a worsening of how we feel. And so a lot of the chapter is having folks try to understand that, uh, that sometimes our thoughts misguide us. And, you know, I think the first example in the chapter, and I'll share for the readers here, for the listeners, is that just the simple example of you're driving on the highway and... and uh, you're just enjoying your cup of coffee, listening to your favorite tune on the radio, and someone comes and cut us off. And it spurs a little bit of an emotional reaction because we know when people do that, there is a risk for an accident. It can be dangerous. But a lot of times our thoughts quickly go to uh, sort of a victimization that how dare that person? What's wrong with them? Are they a jerk? They must not be a nice person. Uh, we're quickly, our thoughts are quick to acclimate and define this person as negativistic and we get hostile, our heart starts racing, our breath gets faster, and that can lead to a, a prolonged day of feeling overwhelmed by this form of anger. What I say is, hold up. I understand that the person might have startled you because, yeah, you're in a car going 60 miles an hour, that can be dangerous, but how do you know anything about this person by this one action? How do you know that possibly they just got a call from a doctor at a hospital and said, your father, who's been hospitalized, is not doing well. He might not have much uh, time left. You should get here as soon as you can to say your goodbyes. And I think if any of us got that phone call, we would be in the right to try to rush and even make a couple uh, rash decisions on the road for the sake of that emotional uh, bond that we're hoping to to accomplish. And, and that's a possibility. And so... You know, if you can understand that there's possibilities outside of your quick thought instinct that this is a bad person, then you could take a step back, not allow your heart race, not to get agitated, not to get angry, and your day might go on being better. If you had a meeting that you were going to, if you're just ruminating about this guy on the road, 
you might carry that anger into your meeting, and it might affect that meeting being a healthy meeting. And if the healthy meeting, if the meeting doesn't go well, then that might carry over to uh, the next client that you're seeing. So it's a lot about understanding how we need to work on stopping our thoughts unless we really know the information. Uh, if, we're, if we're just making it up, we need to stop allowing ourselves to have negative reactions to things that we don't really have the evidence for to justify why we feel that way. And then to understand that if we allow those emotions to go forward with an, from an unknown source, it can parlay into a, a sense of agitation for the rest of the day and ruin our whole day. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it really seems that a lot of these things can be habits. We can start to make assumptions. We create yep. these habits, this knee-jerk response to situations in our lives that right. can create unpleasant emotions, which, yep. you know, it can color everything, every aspect of our life. Again, like you talk about physically, mentally, emotionally. And uh, it's not really the most fun way, productive way, successful way to live. Right. So another... Your next chapter, which, again, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit in the beginning. It's like taking responsibility for our words, our language. Pay attention to what we speak because I think they're kind of like the steering wheel of our lives. They're kind of going to give us an indication of which direction we're going to go. So I'd like to hear a little bit more from your perspective about how we can start to change our lives by changing the words that we use. Yes, and, and that's a, a powerful uh, factor as well. So let's take an example from my practice. I'll be working with somebody. Let's take this 21-year-old uh, uh, artist, this gentleman I see. He goes to one of the art schools in the city. And, and he's not from New York. He's from the South. And we're reflecting on how the year is ending for him. And he's, he sits down. He's a little frustrated. And so, hey, this is our last session. Before you go home for the summer, tell me about how the year went. Oh, it stunk. It was terrible. I didn't do well in some of my classes. Um, I, I really didn't go out much. I didn't really find anybody to date. Uh, I didn't really grow uh, my artistic prowess. And, you know, it was, it's going to be frustrating, and I have to think about that for the rest of the summer. And I know I've seen this person the entire year, and so I know exactly what's happened in their lives. And I said, that's interesting. Uh, because I know how your year went, and I can tell the story this way. I could say you're a kid from the South who didn't know anybody in New York. You moved to New York on your own. You are able to get an apartment. You went to school. You passed all your classes. You actually met a lot of new friends. Your artwork was displayed in multiple galleries. You had two shows that you were the senior artist at that moment. You had a famous artist from Europe who came to one of your shows and told you that you have a lot of great potential. Uh, you didn't find a girlfriend, but you did go on many dates. You met a lot of women that were interesting, and hopefully you grew from those interactions. And now you're about to go off and have a great summer. <laughs> and he's just staring at me. Yep, I can see him blinking now. <laughs> and he's Whoa. staring at me. And I say, <laughs> because that's your narrative, but this is my narrative of your life, and you can't stop me from telling you how I think your narrative went. And the difference is the attitude to which you're going to use your words describe how you feel and how things uh, were seen. And I'll use my language to describe how things went in my eyes of how. And that's what I try to get people to understand is that you, can, you have an attitude about the way you're going to choose your words and describe things around you. And if you continue to identify the things that didn't happen, uh, negate the things that were positive, the ways you grew, uh, negate the, the people you met and the small interactions that might have 
suddenly motivated you or inspired you to grow, then you're going to always carry a sense of feeling empty and feeling insecure and that you're not nurturing any part of your life. Whereas if you look at the way I set his life, he uh, grew as an artist. He met a lot of valuable people. He had a lot of great, wonderful social interactions. He, somebody inspired him to, to keep doing what he was doing. He was able, how many people, you know, it's not even easy to move to New York and get an apartment and do, be successful and manage the emotions of being a New Yorker, which he's doing. So it's, I'm really trying to have people understand, take a step back, listen to the way you use your words and make descriptors of yourself. If you're someone on a Friday night, you're hanging out with your colleagues and all you want to do is complain about how nasty the boss is and how uh, you feel like you're being undervalued, underutilized, those words are going to carry, they're going to affect how you feel about yourself. And that's going to, that's going to stick with you for the rest of your weekend as opposed to the starting your weekend on the right foot, being excited that the work week is over and you're going to continue to nurture your cultural experiences by maybe seeing a new movie, going to a play, going to a concert, uh, catching up with an old friend, and, and finding positivity and excitement in uh, the different connections you can make through people and, and communication and, and language. For sure. So, yeah, what I hear you saying is that we can look at our lives through the lens of optimism or pessimism. And another way that you um, go into this, which I absolutely love, I talk about this a lot, there's two ways to live our lives, victim or empowered. And, of course, we're here on Empower Radio, so that's always my preference. So your chapter uh, where you discuss this, no more victim mentality. You can do it. So can you tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, what the victim mentality is and how it holds us back? It's, It's to make it simple. I find that a lot of folks, um, we're all going to be victims in our lives. Things are going to occur where something is going to happen that was against our will, was unexpected, and it's going to cause us to feel uh, overwhelmed and agitated. Yes, for many people, when we're in that position, people will come to our side more. Maybe friends who weren't calling as much will call more now. Maybe a parent who didn't... uh, uh, wasn't as welcoming, supportive, uh, is now more supportive. And, and that's the make or break. It's, it's sometimes there is a, uh, a fascination that when something occurs to us, we get more attention and people try to make our lives easier. However, what my chapter is saying is that if we allow that role cont- to continue and we facilitate our personality becoming one where uh, we try to stay in this role because maybe it does make other parts of our lives easier, then the long run, it's going to fail us. Because what I find through my experience and my own journey is that we have to acknowledge what's occurred and we have to, as quick as possible, get back on the train, the journey that we were at prior to what occurred so that we don't change our personality and get stuck in that victim mentality where we recognize people did things to us, people were nice to us. And it's upsetting that sometimes it takes those things for people to be more present in our lives, but that's, not, that's how we can get stuck, and then we can only look for the outside world to make us feel better as opposed to continue to grow and realize that the power is within ourselves and we can be happy and love ourselves regardless of what other people around us say. And so it's, it's, there's an apex when that happens, and it's trying to get back on the, the, the trajectory we were on 
prior to what occurred. And, and I, I ask people to try to do that as quickly as possible. Otherwise, uh, staying in the victim role can be very challenging to grow. Mm. Yeah, I, that's why I, I my show is called Journey to Center. It's about staying in that aligned, connected, yeah. centered place. Absolutely. So yeah, we can get knocked out of center. Another way of saying that is we can, you know, experience things that make us feel like a victim, but how can we get back to center? How can we get aligned? How can we get back to that place of, you know, I think we learn from our um, challenging situations or we're a victim of them. So yeah, let's yeah. learn from them, come back to center and move on. And then one of my I favorite words that. that, one of my favorite words that is not necessarily so much in the book, but I've been talking about as I've been doing a lot of these radio shows and in my other writings lately uh, it goes along the way of being a victim, but what I'm seeing a lot more in my practice is that in the era of Facebook and Twitter and social media, where there's a little bit more of a, uh, an, we're in this realm of the ego, we're all trying to satisfy uh, the love of ourselves and our, and our narcissism, that people are becoming more stuck to make mistakes, that to grow in life, to remain in center, we have to make mistakes and, and grow from them and recognize where we went wrong and make better choices going forward. What I'm seeing is a struggle today is that people are so paranoid about having others see them making a mistake or the decision they made didn't work out the way they want it, that people are just not going to make decisions. They're going to stay stuck in a void so that there's no possibility of having a moment where their ego is fractured because of it, as opposed to what has been pretty much the American mentality for years up to recently is like, put yourself out there, make mistakes, try that small business, uh, ask that girl how it's, you know, anything that, yeah, it might not work out, but you, you've, you're learning from each of those, uh, those moments, even if it's not a victory today. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Cause what I say all the time, we didn't, we didn't decide to be human to be perfect. We, I think decided to be human to learn the lessons of love, you know, and, yeah. and that includes loving ourselves, whether we trip and fall, because that's inevitable. It's like learning to walk when we're babies right. or yep. young. You know, it's going to happen. But, you know, we just keep keep trying, keep trying, yep. and hopefully learning and, and uh, evolving. So yep. I, I love everything that you're saying. So Dr. Lops, one of my favorite tools. You addressed this in one of your chapters, and it completely transformed my life. Very simple tool, sometimes difficult to implement, is the role and quality an exercise of active listening. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about what that is and how we can start to implement in our lives so that uh, we can really connect, so we can really enjoy the experience of relationships. Yeah, and, and again, this a lot of this might have been from social modeling, the way our parents spoke to us or as we were growing up, but for a lot of people, there is a, a sense that you get that they're just not present with us, that whether it's anxiety or they just haven't become conscientious of the interest in other people. But for a lot of people, you'll sit with them. You'll maybe uh, go out to uh, get coffee with them or you'll take a walk with them or, or you'll make a phone call to them and you'll get the sense that the person is not actively connecting to what you're trying to, what message you're trying to bring or what conversation you're trying to bring. And I'm sure everyone will relate to this. You get the moment where they're just behind uh, you and they're just trying to make their point. Uh, but it's not just that, too. A lot of times you'll, you'll present them with sort of a, a conflict and you're looking for some good feedback that's outside of yourself, trying to get a different perspective, and they'll just sort of negate it. They'll just say, that doesn't, that's stupid, or that will never work out, or um, anyway, let's move on to a different topic. 
and you find yourself frustrated that this person is not really coming to your level of trying to understand. And, and active listening is so important because like what your show is about being human, loving ourselves, I think active listening is the closest we can do with friends and with people to where we really feel almost our hearts are connected in the moment. This person gets what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, in essence, active listening is the hallmark of the therapist because regardless of whatever tool or style they use as a therapist, it's the active listening that has that client connect with you and say, hey, this person's, I feel comfortable coming to see this person weekly because no matter what I talk about, they're not cutting me off, they're acknowledging what I say, they're making good eye contact, they're validating my points. And And that shouldn't be something that someone has to just go to a therapist for. We all, as partners, parents, children, uh, teachers, students, whatnot, should be always making sure that we're working on that tool. Yeah, it's an incredibly powerful tool, and that itself can transform your life yeah. and your relationships. So, Dr. Lops, we have a minute left here, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to do a shout-out so the people that are listening and want to connect with you can. How can they get a copy of your book, Reinvent Yourself, or connect yeah. with you? Absolutely. So the easiest way to get started with everything is just go to my website, which is drjohnnylops.com, and that's going to be D-R-J-O-H-N-N-Y-L-O-P-S.com. There, it's my website. You can learn more about me. I have a blog. There's also links to my Facebook and Twitter page that you can follow there. But also in terms of going right to the book, uh, Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, you can look under Johnny Lops. You'll need the doctor, J-O-H-N-N-Y-L-O-P-S. And the book should come up, and I would appreciate if anybody took a look at it. It'd be great. And give them a positive review on Amazon. It's really helpful, really great book. I appreciate you so much, Dr. Lops, and honored you're going to come back for another show. So to my listeners, thank you for hanging out with us today. Be in touch with me, TammyBPhD.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's what this, this thing's about. It's about relationships. So love to hear from you. Take care of yourself. God bless you. Onward and upward. Bye for now.